We continue today. I'm Barrett, by the way, if you're new here, one of the pastors here, and it's so good to have you. We're continuing in our study of the book of James and our series, Gospel Meets Life, looking at what does it actually look like for the gospel to intersect us, where we really are and how we really live. How does it change everything about us? And I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for Hillary's willingness to share her testimony with us today because I believe that her testimony is a reflection of the, the story of a lot of us and the story that goes on within a lot of us. And James is actually going to address this in our passage today as we finish up in chapter 3 and move into chapter 4. But this reality that like sometimes in life, like it can feel like we are just facing a constant battle, like a constant war. And it can be like we, we just look much like, like Hillary's story and much like the story of many people who we see in the scriptures, including the woman at the well and the gospel of John, where essentially like we look for what we want in all of these different places, but yet it feels like we never actually get there. Y'all ever been there? Where it's like you just have these strong desires and strong passions and big longings and we want to be happy and we want to be fulfilled and we want to to have contentment and peace and joy all of us do and yet our life can sometimes look like a never-ending search for these things and thus leaving our hearts empty and unsatisfied and the reason is really just misdirected passions Misdirected passions. Much like we saw the Costa Concordia, huge ship, a lot of power, but when it went off course, what happened? The thing fell over and sank. Much like uh, the train that we saw not too long ago in, in Europe, the high-speed train that went around the bend too quickly and got off of its track, And when it got off of its track, though it had great power and great potential, following the wrong course led to disaster. Much like the Mississippi River that has such amazing power and such amazing potential for good, but when it goes outside of its banks, when it gets misdirected, it can be disastrous. In the same way, our desires, those good desires that God has put in us, if misdirected, can lead to dead-end roads and can lead to disaster. And what James wants us to understand as we talk today about how the gospel intersects our life is how to deal with passion, how to deal with desire, and specifically how to direct them. James chapter 3, we're going to read our passage today. and We're going to answer the question, why is it that it seems sometimes in our life that There's so much trouble. There's so much fighting. There's so much relentless pursuit, but yet frustration, lack of satisfaction, and trouble. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read through chapter 4, verse 12. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge? your neighbors. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, you say that your word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it's able to penetrate joint, marrow, bone. Lord, it is able to, Lord, work in our hearts to reveal to us who you are, to reveal to us who we are, and Lord, to lead us in paths of righteousness, Lord, for your name's sake. Lord God, we just give you this time today. We ask that you would speak, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the question that we asked earlier is, why is it so 
that sometimes we have all of these passions, but yet they can be so misdirected. Sometimes we can have all of this fighting, all of this tension, all of this trouble in our life, all of these like desires that well up from within us, but yet no satisfaction in them. What we're going to learn today is this. I want to show you the core truth, and then I'm going to give you in a summary, James, basically his four main truths to get to this core truth. But if you have one thing that I want you to walk away with today, this is really it. And then we're going to look at the four supporting reasons that James gives us to help us understand this. But it's this, that God's grace in Jesus, and if you've got something to write it down, I encourage you to write it down. You can put it in your phone. And this week in small groups, which I hope you all will be in small groups, this week in small groups, we'll be talking about this more. God's grace in Jesus brings into our hearts a new and a sincere spirituality, a living spirituality, relationship with God that satisfies our passions, our deepest passions, and then frees us to live lives of godliness. God's grace provided to you, freely for you in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, if you're sitting in this room today and you can hear me, God's grace is available to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. God's grace available to you can do this. It can create in your heart a new and sincere relationship with God, sincere spirituality, such that the passions that have been frustrated are no longer frustrated but now satisfied. And such that you are free for the first time, not enslaved to your passions to do what you want to do, but for the first time you are free, really free from your heart to live the life that God desires us to live. Got it? All right, I want to know that you got it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to repeat that core truth to them without looking at it. All right? Try to do it. Try to explain it. Do it real quick with your neighbor and then we're going to go through the four points and talk more about it. All right, let's read it together and then we're going to move on. God's grace in Jesus brings a new, sincere spirituality into our hearts that satisfies our passions and frees us for lives of godliness. Let's look back at the passage. There are four supporting points that I want you to see this morning, all driven toward this one thing. And if there's one thing that I want for you today, I don't want you to forget it. I want you to know that God is gracious this morning in His Son, Jesus, and He can do this work in your heart. And I want you to believe it. And I want you to surrender to it. Okay? But I'm going to walk you through how we get there, what James points out to us. The first thing he says is this. You've got to understand and examine your own desires. First point is this. You have to examine your own desires. 
If you look at verse 1, if we go back to the question of why is it that it's so darn frustrating sometimes and we feel like we can't get what we want, it's just a constant war, our life feels like a constant battle. Why is this? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, what causes this quarrels? This ongoing fighting, this relentless frustration with you, with others, people around you, with your workplace, your employment, with people that aren't even like you. What causes this constant friction, this constant quarrels and fights, even the more aggressive things, the things that are real confrontational? What causes this among you? And then he answers it. What's he say? Is it not this? So you go to the doctor's office and you go, I've got all these pains and I'm just feeling my head hurts, my belly hurts, blah, blah, blah. The doctor says, well, let me just tell you what it is. Go right to the source. Forget the symptoms. I want to show you the the source. James says, is it not this? And what is it that he says? That your what? Passions are at war within you. In chapter 3, verse 14 He points again. He says, look, if you got issues, look. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then don't boast and don't be false to the truth. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy, selfish ambition exist, that's how you get disorder in every vile practice. So he's saying if you're experiencing this kind of frustration in your life, you're experiencing this lack of satisfaction or this lack of joy or lack of peace or whatever it is, unfulfilled desire, then you need to examine first your own heart and realize that in you is a problem. See, the issue first is that you are really at war within yourself. You are at war within yourself. Selfishness. Anybody ever heard of that word? Probably you've seen it in other people, right? (laughs) Um, The essence of sin is truly selfishness. And it is selfishness. Desire for what I want above what God wants. Desire for what I want above what others want or need. Me, 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 me. Oh, me. Right? It is this self-centered, selfish heart attitude that is the cause of most of the frustration in our life. You see it from little children. Who's, who's ever been with a little child? From the time a little child comes, I mean, it's old enough to even move around. What do you see, right? You go take that little kid's toy. What are they going to do? You know, mine is one of the first words that we learn. Who's, who ever learned the word mine really early? Mine, right? Selfishness. It is just the essence of sin. And we have constant battles because of our own selfish desires and our own selfish passions. Lust for power. Lust for popularity. Lust for 
prestige, lust for pleasure. Me, 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 me. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And these desires cause war within us and cause war outside of us. You can see it from the very beginning of time. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember? What was the problem there? Eve wanted the wisdom that God had, right? In a wrong way. He said, don't eat of this tree. She says, but I want to eat of that tree. I want it. Me, me, me. And then came, from the desire, came what? Her actually reaching out to take the apple. From the desire for power, for the desire for her own way above God's way, or her own way above even her husband's way, though her husband ended up relenting to it, he was just as guilty, because he was to be the leader. But it was the desire that led to the disorder. You got it? Same thing with Abraham. Remember? It was the desire in his heart for self-protection that led him to lie about who Sarah, his wife, really was. He said, oh no, she's just my sister. It was the desire for self-protection that led to lying, that led to the other trouble. Remember with Achan and Joshua, it was Achan's desire for material goods that led him to disobey God and do wrong for the community that ultimately led Israel to lose the war. If you look at the outward behavior, you can trace it back almost always to the desire. I'm coming over here because Sarah Nallen did something cool for us this week. Uh, We had heard that you could do this, and it actually works. This is celery celery. It doesn't look like celery anymore because we've been playing a little experiment with it, right? (laughs) This was just plain old, not much color celery. What happens is when you put the celery down into this water that has been dyed with green food coloring, it actually travels up into the celery, permeates it completely, and the whole stem now is the color of the green food coloring. Isn't that crazy? I think there's a picture up here. She did this with a few others. Yeah, it actually works with a lot of other colors. And thank you, Sarah, for doing that. It's crazy. It permeates the whole, the whole thing. Now, the reason we did this was to illustrate a simple point. That is, this celery wouldn't be green if its root wasn't in the green. Does that make sense? If there is a disorder here with the celery in its leaf, then what you need to look at is the origin. Where is it drawing from? There's a disorder with the leaf because it's drawing from a disordered water. Nobody would want to eat this celery, right? I don't think so. It looks kind of cool, though. Same thing is true in our life. If we see disorder on the outside, then what we need to do is examine our hearts. Where is your heart? Because if there's disorder without, then it points to this, that there is a disorder within. The real problem, the real battle is within you. 
The word for desire in Greek is hedone. You can trace the, the, the word hedonism. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, hedonism. And it's a term for pleasure, but it usually has very negative, very negative connotations in Scripture. Sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. And it's this issue within you that can lead to the outward mess. And that's why he says it actually leads to wrong actions. See, look, you desire and you do not have. So what? You murder. You know, most murders, uh, we've got some folks that work in court system here. Most murders are not premeditated, deliberate. Most murders are murders of passion. In the moment you did something that I didn't want, you have something that I want, whatever it is, in the moment it's passion. You desire and you don't get it, so you murder. And you, you guys may have never murdered, but you've done a lot of other things because you've desired something and not been able to get it. That yuck in you leads to yuck outside of you. He says this, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You want something and you can't have it? Somebody else has something that you want, so you criticize them. So you put them down. Talk about them. You, I mean, I just think about Michelle and my relationship. So many of our uh, heavy conversations, we don't fight. We just have heavy conversations. So many of our heavy conversations stem from the fact that one of us wants something, and we just want the other person to do what we want. Right? It doesn't really center around the main issue itself. It just centers around whether or not I can get what I want or she can get what she wants. And it's usually me trying to get what I want. Right? That's what causes quarrels and fights. Then it says this, you don't have because you don't ask. It even translates into your prayer life. Your own selfish desires actually lead you to a point that you become self-sufficient. You're not even depending upon the Lord anymore. You want something so bad that you're walking away from God's will, even walking outside of dependency upon the Lord to be able to get it. So it's no wonder why you meet frustration. It's no wonder why you, you have unfulfilled desires, because you're not even depending upon the Lord. But then it says this, there's even those who are sick spiritually, verse 3, it says you ask, those who are asking, they are praying, they think that they're a spiritual person. It says you ask, but you don't receive it. And the reason is this, because you go to God, but you go to God, and when you pray, all you pray is your self-centered desires. You're still selfish. At your core, yeah, you might be spiritual, you might be praying to God, but at your core there's still disorder. At your core, selfishness still reigns. And I'm just telling you, friend to friend, until you begin to understand this about yourself, you will not make progress spiritually. You will not experience lasting peace, and you will not experience lasting joy, and you will, in the end, realize that you are not really one with God. Until you begin to realize that the problem within you is your corrupt, selfish, sinful heart. It is that. It's at this point that come all of the other problems in our life. It is here. 
And all of us are guilty. We have all gone astray. All of us. When you deal with issues in your life, don't point to other people and say, it's your problem. It's like the man and woman who, you know, um, tried to live the American dream. And so they go and they say, well, we're going to go buy a house. And they get a house that, quite honestly, they shouldn't be buying and they really can't afford. But they go because they want this house and they want this dream. They want, they, they want this so much. And they, so they go and they get the house and they get the loan for it and they buy it. And suddenly, a few months in, we can't pay, pay bills. A few months in, the bills begin to stack up and everything begins to seem to fall apart. And there begins to be fights in the marriage. Well, if you had just said, if you didn't, if you, right? And suddenly quarrels inside the marriage. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's your fault. Well, if the real estate agent hadn't shown us houses that were outside of our price range. Well, if the utility company didn't blah, blah, blah. And you can just start, I mean, the blame game goes on and on and on. But the real issue with this couple is not other people. It's not each other. The issue was within their hearts. They wanted that material status or they wanted that American dream. And that's, that's where the problem was. That selfishness led to all the other issues. Do you understand? You've got to first examine your heart. War on the inside always leads to war on the outside. Warren Wiersbe says this, and people who are at war with themselves because of selfish desires are always unhappy people. They never enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for the blessings they do have, they complain about the blessings that they do not have. They cannot get along with other people because they are always envying others for what they have or for what they do. They are always looking for the magic something that will change their lives, when all along the real problem is within their hearts. First, we've got to realize and examine our own desires. Secondly is this. We have to direct our desires toward God. If we're going to see this new spirituality, this sincere relationship with God come in our life through the grace of Christ that satisfies our passions and frees us for a life of godliness, not only should we examine our desire, but we've got to direct our desire to the right place, and that is God. If you look back at your scripture, verse 4, James says this, you are an adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that is for no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made? To dwell in us. 
The second thing that we've got to realize, so not only that our hearts are sinful, but we've got to realize this, that what we really need, and I'm telling you this as a friend, as your pastor, what you really need is often not the thing that you think you really need. What you really need is God. See, sometimes we can look for satisfaction in a million other places, and suddenly it's like, it's, why do we have to wait till we come to the, our wit's end? Till there's nowhere else to go before we realize that it's God we need. You know, people who are totally at the end of the road are willing to cry out to God, but what James is trying to say is realize this earlier. You should, we should realize this now, before you get to that place. God is the one who you're looking for, who you're made for, who your heart is longing for. All of these desires are meant to lead you to one place, and that is God. God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has put within you. Listen, he calls us an adulterous people. The reason is because the relationship between us and God is set up in Scripture as a relationship between a man and a woman. Christ, our husband, the church, us, we are the bride. It is a covenant relationship with God. Now, if my wife left me or went away from me for another man, you better bet you that I would do anything and everything to bring back my wife. Because she's my wife and I love her. And I've committed myself to her. And what's good for her is not to seek satisfaction in another relationship, but to seek satisfaction in our relationship. That's what a husband does for his wife. James says to us, you are like a wife to God. And when you take these desires and try to find fulfillment in them in other places, you are committing spiritual adultery. You're walking away from him and turning to another relationship to find the satisfaction that really you need to be finding in him. You need to take your passions, your desires, and realize that they are directed. You are meant to find fulfillment in God and in God alone. You're searching for respect or you're searching for satisfaction. You're searching for value. You're searching for pleasure. Are you searching for, for somebody just to love you unconditionally? Are you searching for, what, what is it that you're searching for? I mean, just think about it for a second. What is it that you are searching for? What is it that drives you? And so a lot of the decisions that you make that are so sometimes foolish and wayward. What God is saying is, I am the one you need. I'm the one you want. I will satisfy your heart. Oh, I yearn jealously over the spirit that I have put within you. Won't you come back to me? Won't you come back to me? We've got to not only examine our wayward desire, but bring them back to the Lord. Third, I've got to finish this out because I don't want to keep you here all day. Not only should we examine our desires and direct them toward the Lord, 
But third, we need desperately to repent of our sin. We need to repent of our sin. If you look back at Scripture, verse 7. We're going to skip verse 6 and come back to it in a second. Verse 7. Okay, Barrett. Okay, Lord. I see this at war within me. I see that the issue is with myself. I see, really, my war is with you. I mean, think about this. The war is not just within yourself. The war is between you and God. And whether or not you will allow God to have his way in you, to satisfy you. That's the real issue here. So how do you do this? How do I, how do I move toward the Lord in satisfaction? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. This is a military term. Anybody been in the military? It, it means get in your proper rank, all right? Literally, that's what the word means. Get in your proper rank, soldier. Nah, that made me feel like a captain. That was awesome. Oh, that was fun. Get in your proper rank, soldier, right? That's the idea here. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. You want to know how to find joy? You want to know how to find peace? You want to know how to find satisfaction? You want to know how to get your desires fulfilled? Get yourself in the proper rank, Christian. Stop looking for it outside of God. You've got to come back to Him, and you need to remember who He is, and you need to remember who you are, and you desperately need to submit. Get yourself back to him. And he goes on. And he talks about we need to resist the devil. We need to draw near to God. We need to cleanse our hands. We need to purify our heart. Instead of taking lightly our sin, we need to be wretched and mourn and weep and let our joy be turned to gloom. I mean, I think James is a happy guy, okay? I don't think he's this guy that's like, be miserable the rest of your life, you know? I don't think that's what he's saying. But here's what he is saying. This isn't no, I mean, this is not a light thing. The way that you try to find joy and peace and satisfaction outside of God, this is no light thing. This is wrong. It'd be like walking into the doctor's office Finding out that you have cancer and going, <laughs> how crazy would that be? If you learn you have a disease, you should cry about it. You should mourn about it. And you should take steps to eliminate it from your life. We need to repent of our sin. Repentance means, first, submission. Second, it means change of direction. 
we submit, we repent, we acknowledge and confess, Lord, this is who you are and this is who I have been, and I am so sorry. But Lord, I will move in a new direction, in your direction. It's not just mourning and it's not just movement. It is mourning over sin and then changing and walking in a new direction. That is repentance. And the Lord says, more than anything that we need, we need daily to be repentant in our heart. To take time every day to say, look, Lord, these are the ways that I am drifting from you. Lord, I am sorry and I want to move in your direction. Lord, I put myself in the proper rank. I submit myself to you and Lord, I will draw near to you. I am coming back to you, God, because you are the one that I need. You're who my heart has been made for. And then fourth, James encourages us. He helps us to see the real beauty of all of this. If we're going to have a new, sincere spirituality within us that satisfies our passions, that frees us for life of godliness, we should examine our desires. We should direct them toward God, repent of the ways that we have been wrong, and turn toward Him. And then fourth, we need to know and depend on the generous grace of God. James, is, this book is all about what God desires to do and can do within you when you draw near to Him. Let's look back now at verse 6 as we close. James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Verse 8, draw near to God. And what? He will draw near to you. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will what? He will exalt you. The wonderful thing about God is that He's a God of grace. And I know this morning, I know that there are, there are areas of your heart and life that you may feel, I'm so disconnected, I'm so disordered, I'm so messed up, I'm so far away from God in these areas. How would God ever, how would God ever, how would He ever be able to change me? How would He ever be able to accept me? Can you see how far I've gone? How is this like some self-effort thing? No. The way that you have your passion satisfied, the way that you have the sincere spirituality come, the way that you're able to be free for a life of godliness is knowing and resting upon the grace of God provided for you freely in His Son, Jesus Christ. God came in flesh for you. Listen, if you could have done it yourself, God would have never come. 
If you could have done it yourself and saved yourself, Jesus Christ would have never died. If you could have the victory over sin and over your passions within you, then Jesus would have never had to go to the grave and rise again. But let me tell you, He did come. He did come to die. He did go to the grave for your sin, and He did rise again for newness of life because you can't do it on your own. But God didn't want to leave you on your own. He wants to give you all you need. And He's done it in His Son, Jesus. It's an act of love. It's an act of grace. And it's a free gift to be received by all who will just call out to Him and believe upon His name. Amen? This is the grace of God. And He's here today. He's present for you. The promise is that if you'll humble yourself, if you'll draw near to Him, He's already waiting for you. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. He can forgive you. He's willing to today to forgive you completely, to clean your heart, to purify your desire, and to put a new spirit within you with new desires for God and not away from God. Amen? And there's many people in this room today that can stand up and say, listen, God has made me new. This is the work of salvation. I'm, I believe today. I'm just, just going to be very honest with you. There are people here in this room that think they're Christians and they're not Christians. Hillary gave a testimony earlier. For a long time in her life, and it's the same testimony that I have, for a long time in my life, she thought, I thought, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because it was all about me trying to live the Christian life doing the thing that Christ wants me to do, but never truly surrendering, never truly receiving the new life of God that He can bring within you, never truly laying yourself down once and for all and giving yourself completely, entirely to God. That's what it means to become a Christian, is to have the Holy Spirit make you new as you give yourself in total reliance and thanks upon the grace of God provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the work of salvation. And for some of you today, you know that in your, you live the Christian life, but within you is desire for everything but Christian life, and it's a constant war. Are you really free if you always want something, but you can never do it? No, you're not free. What God creates in you is new desires and new passion, and they're for Him. So understand that this is the grace of God. This is what He wants to do. The war can stop. The frustration can end. The desires can be satisfied. But you have to do the work of submitting yourself before God humbling yourself before Him, drawing near to Him in faith, and receiving from Him the wonderful grace that He gives in His Son, Jesus. I'm telling you, friends, this, this is where the gospel meets your life. This is what it means to know God and be satisfied in Him. What's the cause of all the frustration in your life? Examine your desires. 
direct them toward God. Repent of your sin and rest, receive, enjoy the amazing grace, the generous grace of God. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this day in your word. And Lord, um, I haven't told jokes today, haven't been funny, haven't used a lot of illustrations. Because Lord, this is a real serious, this is a serious message that you have for us. And the tone of James here in this passage is not lighthearted in any way. It's serious. And it's because, Lord, this is, this is really what our life comes down to. Where is our heart? Lord, we, can, we feel in our life disorder in so many ways that things aren't the way they should be. And it makes us lash out. It makes us act out. It makes us, Lord, just disordered in our actions. And even in our prayers, Lord, we sense this, God. Lord, help us today. Every person in this room today, I pray that you would help us to see that the real issue is where is our heart? Is our heart with you surrendered, submitted, receiving and depending upon your grace and satisfied in your presence? Or is our heart yearning after all these other things that are not of you, that will never satisfy that don't bring you honor and they don't bring us joy and they trample other people. God, where is our heart? Lord, today, for the people in this room, and I know they're here, that have been trying to find joy and peace and satisfaction and a million other things, Lord, I pray today that you would call them home. Help them to know, God, that you've provided everything in your son Jesus. You have paid it all for us to be forgiven, for us to be clean, and for us to receive a new heart of new desires for you. Lord, help us today to repent of our sin, to find our proper rank, and to rest, to receive upon your grace. Thank you so much for Jesus. He's a wonderful Savior to all who will call upon Him.